You are listening to Matter of Theology, a podcast production that deals with church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We stand firm on the sufficiency of Scripture, hitting every topic with an open Bible and the boldness to say things that others are afraid to. And now, here's the host of Matter of Theology, Chris Huff. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. My name is Chris. I am your host. Uh, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Matter of Theology is a podcast production that seeks to apply biblical truth to all areas of life, whether that be cultural, social, or life inside the church. We are a part of the BAR podcast network. That is the biblical and reformed podcast network headed up by our brother, Mr. Dwayne Atkinson, a.k.a. the hardest working man in podcast land. Now, on this installment of Matter of Theology, I wanted to continue looking at the topic of worship. In the last episode entitled A Retrieval of the Word Worship, I mentioned that one could literally address this topic weekly until either the Lord calls us home or Christ returns and still not exhaust it. And I referenced a chapter um, out of the book of Colossians that believers should commit to memory when it comes to our our personal worship, our corporate worship. And the chapter I'm referring to is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And um, the the Legacy Standard Bible, um, and and side note here, um, and I think you probably heard me say this a couple of times, but the Legacy Standard Bible is the preferred translation of Matter of Theology. Um, right now, as of the recording of this episode, you can read the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. Head on over to read.lsbbible.org, and I'll have that link in the show notes for you. Um, but uh, head on over there um, to to read along with us. We are going to be studying Scripture today. I mean, we are going to be unpacking some passages. So um, head on over there, and then if you're going to head there, uh, go ahead and head on over to the Literal Word app as well. Uh, because we will be diving into some Old Testament passages that uh, right now you can't read that um, on the legacy out of the Legacy Standard Bible as that as again as of the recording of this episode that portion of Scripture um, is not yet available. It is coming um, uh, very very soon, might I add, and we are very excited about that. Um, but um, uh, we also love the New American Standard Bible, um, and so you can head on over to Literal Word and follow along with us. All right, back to it. Um, and, and and they're not sponsoring us, by the way. Um, I just, I, I love the Legacy Standard Bible and, and what the translation team has done with that, uh, that, that translation and what 316 Publishing and Steadfast Bibles continues to do with their incredible products. So anyway, they're not sponsoring us. I just love them. Uh, all right, here we go. The Legacy Standard Bible, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, gives it this subtitle. Quote, put on the new man. Uh, The New American Standard gives it the following subtitle, quote, put on the new self. All right, so very, very close there. Um, Dr. Derek Thomas, he said this in a sermon he gave at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, on June 10th, 2007, and the name of this sermon is entitled uh, The Incomparable Christ, Exposition of Colossians, with a subtitle, Seeing as Though Your Life Depended on It. I love that 
title. Uh, but, but he said this in that message. He said, quote, there's something about Colossians 3 and the opening 16 or 17 verses or so that provide for us a series of keys, keys that unlock the door to the nature of the Christian life. There is a sense in which Colossians 3 can serve as a kind of portal through which we may enter into a grasp of what the Bible describes to us as the nature of the Christian life, period, close quote. In order to worship the Lord in a way that honors him, our worship must be based in and founded upon, regulated by the inerrant, infallible, and completely sufficient word of the living God. If you want to be a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, offering worship that is acceptable to God, you have to do so by being regulated by the word of God alone. Check out this verse out of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Uh, scripture says this, quote, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my, is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this one I will look to him who is humble, and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Now, I, I referenced, um, I, I referenced this quote um, in our last episode as well. Thomas Watson said in *A Body of Divinity*, um, he said this quote: "Glorifying God consists of four things: one, appreciation; two, adoration; three, affection; four, subjection. This is the yearly rent." We pay to the crown of heaven. Wow, right? Amazing quote, amazing quote. And, and this section in scripture, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, it encompasses all of those in almost in that specific order. Um, it, it, it's incredible, it's incredible. Now, now, something that we have done here at Matter of Theology in the past, and one of our favorite things to do, to be honest, is to open up the scripture and exegete a passage or passages and apply them, apply what the Bible teaches to whatever we're talking about, or just, just unpack the passages of scripture and let the word of God speak for itself. It doesn't need our help. In this episode, I have a goal, and, and, and this is a goal that I have prayed for, and, and I've asked the Lord to help me meet. I want to take a deep dive into one verse out of this section of scripture, and my goal in this episode is to clearly and unequivocally show why we must be regulated by the scriptures when it comes to matters of worship. Lord willing, I want to show how this one verse is a catalyst and an anchor when it comes to the what and the why Leaders in the church should put in the work when it comes to the songs chosen, those leading those songs that have been chosen, to express our affection, attention, and adoration to the Lord when we gather corporately, and in turn, what you and I end up using when we're worshiping privately. Now, before we do that, I want to start with some context. Um, and and as, as my brother and, and friend of Matter of Theology, Dr. Tom Buck, um, reminded me of when I attended, I had the opportunity to attend the um, G3 Expository Workshop um, back in early 2020, 
he reminded us that frameworks are important. And whenever we're unpacking the Word of God, we need to make sure we're grounded on authorial intent. I cannot stress how crucial that is when studying Scripture. We must never approach the Scriptures from the standpoint of, what does this passage mean to me? Okay, we must always ask this, what does this passage mean to God? What was the original intent of the author? Who was the original audience? What was happening in context when, when, when this portion of scripture was written? So, so, so for, for some insight into what was happening when this letter was written, I want to direct our attention to the Bible expositor of our generation and time, Dr. John MacArthur. Here's what we know as far as what was happening in Colossae at the time that this letter was written. And, and for that, I, I will be quoting from Dr. MacArthur's introduction to the book of Colossians, or to the letter of Colossians, if you will, the epistle of Colossians, from his study Bible. This is what he said, quote, The church at Colossae began during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. And Dr. MacArthur reference, references Acts chapter 19. Its founder was not Paul, who had never been there, Colossians 2.1, but Epaphras, Colossians 1.5-7, who apparently was saved during a visit to Ephesus, then likely started the church in Colossae when he returned home. Several years after the Colossian church was founded, a dangerous heresy arose to threaten it, one not identified with any particular historical system. It contained elements of what later became known as Gnosticism. That is, that, that, excuse me, that God is good, but matter is evil. That Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God and being less than God, a belief that led them to deny his true humanity, and that a secret higher knowledge above Scripture was necessary for enlightenment and salvation. Still quoting from Dr. MacArthur here. The Colossian heresy also embraced aspects of Jewish legalism. Examples of the necessity of circumcision for salvation. Observance of the ceremonial rituals in the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, festivals, Sabbaths. And rigid asceticism. It also called for the worship of angels and mystical experience. Epaphras was so concerned about this heresy that he made the long journey from Colossae to Rome, Colossians 4, 12 and 13, where Paul was a prisoner, period, close quote. So there's some incredible context, needed context for where, where we are in the book of Colossians. Now, notice some of the issues the church at Colossae dealt with. Are we not seeing those same issues today in today's professing evangelical church? Gnosticism, the deity of Christ, knowledge and special knowledge and special revelation above Scripture, legalisms, legalism, both sides of it, from antinomianism to sinful fundamentalism, asceticism, false worship of angels and mystical experience. Now, this shouldn't surprise us too much as, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, that which has been, that which will be, and that 
which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, so now that we have a little context, let's dive in. Okay, let's read that section of scripture together. All right, so if you would, please get your copy of God's Word. That is unless you're driving. <laughs> so um, don't read and or text or mess with your device uh, while you're driving. Just listen and then go back and read it later. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3, 1 through 17 from the Legacy Standard Bible reads this way. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. There is so much here. And if I could, again, admonish all of us, myself included, to memorize this section of scripture. So the, the, the verse I really want to unpack in this episode is verse 16 out of chapter 3. And again, it reads this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Now, I want to take an exegetical deep dive into this verse and unpack some, just some, of the wonderful things the Apostle Paul was exhorting the church at Colossae with and ultimately what he is exhorting and admonishing us to in this passage. Okay? 
And uh, we're not going to get too far right out of the gate as the first word of the passage is one that jumped off the page at me, the word let. Now, now the, the side note, this is why you hear um, myself, uh, Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, John MacArthur, founders with uh, you know, Tom Askell and Jared Longshore, Dr. Josh Bice, uh, Paul Washer, Dr. Stephen Lawson, et cetera, so on and so forth. We all say the same thing. Um, and no, I'm not putting myself in the same category as these men. I'm just saying this to, as, to make a point. Words matter. The definitions of words matter, even and sometimes especially the smallest words. That said, if you've never done a word study through a verse or a particular section of Scripture, you really should take the time to do so. Pray, 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 open the Scripture, and watch how the Holy Spirit uses His Word through constant study, uh, word for word. Okay, back to it. So let, okay, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let is defined uh, in one way. That there are multiple definitions, but it, it's defined this way out of the dictionary. Uh, not prevent or forbid. To allow. To allow to, part- to pass in a particular direction. So there is a negative aspect to the word let. You're, you're not stopping whatever's trying to come in or go out. Okay, so, so if something's trying to trying to come in, if something is 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 you want it in, you're going to let it in. If there's not something you want out, you're going to keep it in. You're not going to let it out. Make sense? So, and you know, they would not. Here's an example: they would not let me leave, or you must not let yourself get carried away. And and think about this with me for a minute. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples including us, that we would be sanctified in his truth. His word is truth, John 17, 17. We're reminded that the Holy Spirit is at work within us, that 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 he is, is praying for us, he is interceding for us, that Christ is interceding for us, that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is guiding us and guarding us and growing us. How? Through the word, read, studied, dwelled upon, and obeyed. That's one of the, the, the primary means. I've heard someone say this. I can't remember who said it now. But one of the primary means of grace that we have that the Holy Spirit uses, um, and I'm going to add some words here, to guide us, to guard us, to grow us, is the Word of God read, studied, dwelled upon, and obeyed. Okay, we're, we're told in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the Word of the Lord is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let it in. It's living. It's active. It's being wielded by God himself to make us more and more like his son. Open the door to the word of God. Remember those words, specifically the door. Open the door to the word of God. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Can this be said of you? Can this be said of me? That 
that, that we have opened the door to our minds and our hearts, to, to the eternal seat of ourselves, our soul, to the words, the breathed out words of God. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so I'm going to continue on with the word let. So here are some synonyms of the word let. To allow, permit, give permission to, give leave to, authorize, sanction, grant, grant the right to, warrant, empower, enable, entitle, consent to, agree to, acquiesce in. Give the here, here's an, a couple informal uh, synonyms, and I love this when you're looking through the dictionary. Give the green light to, give the go ahead to, give the thumbs up to, give someone or something the nod, say the magic word. Okay, <laughs> so I love that. Um, which, by the way, if you don't own a dictionary or thesaurus, get one, get one quickly. So. Um, and, and, and by the way, you know, this is a word that we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. Check this out. So so you see here, if you just do a word search, if you go, like I said earlier, you go to read.lsbbible.org and just search the word let. Just the word let. And and you see some some incredibly rich passages of Scripture that um, that that. Is something is something that we, um, man, we, we we should I should do more often. I'm just going to be honest there, um, and specifically I want to scroll down real quick um, uh, to to some of these passages out of uh, Psalm 119. Okay, um, with with this, let's check this out. Verse 10: With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Okay, Psalm 119, uh, verse 133, establish my steps in your word and do not let any wickedness overpower me. Psalm 119, verse 170, let my, supp- let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Verse 171, let my lips pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. That's a great one for what we're talking about today. And then we'll do one more. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Wow. Wow. So let it in. Let the word of God in. And we're going to see why here in just a few minutes. And once it's there, don't let it out. Keep it in, marinate on it, mull over it, let it lay you bare, as Hebrews 4 says. So Paul, Paul is saying here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Allow, give permission, seek after, desire more than gold. Psalm 19, verse 10, they being the scriptures, the, the law, the testimony, the judgments, the commandments, the fear of Yahweh. That's the they there. We're going to get into that and unpack that shortly. They are more desirable than gold, even much more fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Keeping Keep everything else out. When it comes to the first place in your heart and mind, nothing, nothing is there except the living and active word of God. Is that the truth for you? Is that the truth for me? Do we yearn for and desire to let the word of God 
dwell in us richly. So there you go. There's one word. (laughs) Now, continuing on, let the word. Paul says, let the word. The word here is the Greek word logos. It's found some 318 times in the New Testament. It's translated as reason or statement, words, declaration, teaching, doctrine, narrative. I told you we were going to get into Psalm 19, so here we go. Psalm 19, when speaking of the word of Christ, this is what Psalm 19 says. It's it's the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, and the judgments of Yahweh. The word of who, Paul says? Christ, the Messiah, the second member of the Holy Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, truly God, truly man. What does this word of Christ entail? The scriptures, all of them. As Dr. John MacArthur has stated, the word of revelation he brought into the world. Psalm 19, let's read that together. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous all together. Yahweh is the proper name of God. He is the author of the word. He is the living word, and the word is about him. The 19th century pastor and preacher, known affectionately and rightly as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this in a sermon entitled Christ's Indwelling Word on June 17th, 1900. Quote, Remember, dear friends, that Christ himself is the word of God. And recollect also that the scriptures are the word of the word. They are the word of Christ. I think that they will be all the sweeter to you if you realize that they speak to you of Christ. That he is the sum and substance of them. That they direct you to Christ. In fact, as John says of his gospel that they were written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name, period, close quote. Thomas Watson put it this way concerning the word of God, quote, the scripture is the royal law, which commands not only the actions but affections. It binds the heart to good behavior. Where is there... Where is there such holiness to be found as dogged out, uh, dug out, excuse me, of this sacred mind? Who could be the author of such a book but God himself? Close quote. So if I may, I, I do want to spend some time breaking down these three verses out of Psalm 19. Briefly, as, as to show what scripture says about itself. Psalm 19 is the most concise and direct treatment of the sufficiency of Scripture in the Scripture. And Thomas Watson, again, he said that the Scripture is the richest jewel that Christ has left us. 
Okay, so so let, let's do that. Let's. Let, I want to break this down. So Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. Okay, the law, the manual, the, the Torah, okay, the, the didactic divine teaching. And, and listen to this. It informs what we believe, our doctrine. It informs what and who and whose we are, our character, and what we do, our conduct. And by the way, it will judge us in each of those things as well. The law refers to all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is theanustas, meaning that it is literally breathed out by God, the creator of the universe who breathed stars into existence, Psalm 33 tells us. He did not lift a finger when creating creation. He has breathed out his holy word and given it to us. God is holy. God is perfect. God does not lie. And because of that, his word is perfect, blameless, and does not lie. It's inerrant. It's complete. And I love this. The law of Yahweh is perfect, meaning that it is all-sided. Dr. Stephen J. Lawson said this, quote, the holiness of God necessitates the inerrancy of Scripture, period, close quote. Martin Luther said it this way, quote, The word is flawless, so that not one iota in the law or the divine promises is defective, period, close quote. The great French reformer John Calvin said it this way, quote, There is so much perfection in the word of God as that nothing can be found therein but all purity and sincerity, and to be so infallible a truth, we say it is infallible, period, close quote. Psalm 12, verse 6, the, the words of Yahweh are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the ground, refined seven times. Psalm 119, verse 140, your word is exceedingly refined, therefore your slave loves it. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Scripture is perfect because God is perfect. Scripture is authoritative over all. Even if there are those of us who reject it, it still stands above all of us. Back to Thomas Watson, again, one of my favorite favorite quotes out of a body of divinity is this quote as long as we have sin in our lives we will never be above scripture it's above us period close quote as long as we have sin in our lives we will never be above scripture it's above us how dare we how dare any of us think that, let me just, just rabbit trail here for a second. How dare any of us think that we have any right whatsoever to stray from being regulated by the word of God when it comes to how we approach and worship him, whether it's privately or corporately. 
we have done messed up if that's if that's what we think. I once had a pastor ask me at a quote-unquote reformed church, an Acts 29 church, Chris, are you a regulative principle guy or a normative principle guy? At the time, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure on, explain that to me. You know, what, what do you mean by that? Well, meaning that, that you think that we shouldn't, you know, regulative, should we, should we if something is not expressly uh, given instruction to when it comes to our worship, should we abstain from that if it's not in the word? And I said, yeah. He was like, well, that's disappointing. What? No. No. Scripture is above us. It's perfect. All right, continuing on, Psalm 19. It restores the soul. The law of Yahweh is perfect. It restores the soul. Scripture answers for us the most important question. That, that any of us could ever hope to know the answer to. And that question is this. How can sinful man be right with God? Creation reveals existence, right? It, it, creation reveals the existence of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God, and the power of the creator God. However, it's his word alone that reveals everything needed to know about him, his attributes, and how we can know him. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, word of Christ. Check out this quote from Martin Luther. Quote, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. The Bible has feet. It runs after me. The Bible has hands. It lays hold of me. Period. Close quote. So the law of Yahweh is perfect. It restores the what? The soul. Nepesh in the Hebrew, meaning the inner man, the eternal being of man. Now, this is going to be really important when we get to the end of Colossians 3.16, okay, eventually. <laughs> so remember that. Restores the soul. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit wields his word, the sword, in our hearts to perform spiritual heart surgery at the time of regeneration. I, I read Hebrews 4, verse 12 earlier. I'm going to read it again. For the word of, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that spiritual heart surgery that the Holy Spirit uses to wield, when wielding his sword, the word of God, this is what happens. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Wow. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. My man Thomas Watson again, quote, it, reading scripture is the it, by the way, has changed their hearts. Some by reading scripture have turned into other men. They have been made holy, period, close quote. It's here in the word of Christ where we find what the Holy Spirit uses to breathe new life into those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. It's the word that tells us about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Why on earth would we ever want to approach him regulated by anything else other than the word? Continuing on, Psalm 19. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. I love this. Okay, check this out. The testimony here, the witness, the validation, the confirmation, the evidence, the proof of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 93, verse 5, your testimonies are faithful. Excuse me. Your testimonies are very faithful. Holiness befets your house, O Yahweh, forevermore. The testimony of Yahweh, the word of Yahweh, the word of God, the word of Christ, it's not unsure. It's not insecure. It's not unwavering. It's not unchanging. It's immutable. It's certain. There's zero hesitation when it comes to the word. It's steadfast. It's reliable. It's trustworthy without any doubt or question, regardless of how we feel about God's word. This is scripture's testimony of itself. 2 Peter 1, verse 19, And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So the testimony of Yahweh is sure. It, it making wise the simple. Now listen to this. This blew me away when studying for this. Okay, simple here in the Hebrew is a word for an open door, okay, meaning undiscerning. Those who do not know when to shut the door of their, of their minds and their hearts, the naive, the gullible, much like the time where Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, we live in a world and time where there are many who have opened the door to godless ideologies, speculations, and worldviews. There are too many professing evangelical leaders who have forgotten or have cowardly shied away from holding to the perfect law and testimony of Yahweh. Okay, check out this verse. Check this out. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believes everything, but the prudent one discerns his steps. Okay, I'm going to read that again, and then I'm going to throw another translation in there. Okay, the LSB says it this way. The simple believes everything, but the prudent one discerns his steps. The 
the New American Standard translates it like this, and I love both of these. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. In today's world, open-mindedness is a virtue, right? We have all heard that, especially recently. However, according to the scripture, not having discernment is not virtuous at all. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way, quote, discernment isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong, but right and almost right. Period, close quote. True discernment and is knowing what the scriptures teach. True discernment is letting God's word dwell in us richly and to use it and it alone as the framework and lens to which we view all things. Okay? True discernment is, is knowing what the scriptures teach. True discernment, again, letting God's word dwell in us richly and, and use it. We need to use it and it alone as the framework and the lens to which we view all things. Brothers and sisters, the enemy's number one tool in attack is that of questioning the very truth and veracity of Scripture. Deceiving by, by twisting the word of God is what he's been doing since Genesis 3. Believing what the church at Colossae wrestled with um, they wrestled with Gnosticism and other man-centered, worldly ideologies. When we do that, we do nothing but keep the door open to our minds. Dr. John MacArthur said this, quote, The Word of God makes the mind wise to withstand deception, able to navigate a holy life through this fallen world. Period. Close quote. In the Old Testament, being open-minded was equated with ignorance. I mean, it literally meaning without knowledge. In the Latin, ignoramus. Scripture speaks to this person and or, and, or people elsewhere by, by saying that they are people who are unstable in all their ways. And there's a way to remedy this. Shut the door. Shut the door. Doors are meant to do two things. One, keep the good in and then keep the bad out. Our minds and our hearts are just that, doors. The psalmist said this, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it, excuse me, for from it flow the springs of life. The word of God makes the simple wise. Wise here in the Hebrew, it's a very, very rich word. It literally translates skilled in the art of godly living. Not wise in a philosophical or intellectual way, a.k.a. worldly wisdom, but in godly living according to the word of Christ. 
Moving on. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The precepts here, the fixed commands, the absolute truth of the Lord are right. They're straight. They're upright in absolute alignment. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. So those precepts are right. They're rejoicing the heart. Worldly wisdom equates to emptiness, uselessness, and is deadly. Running toward anything other than his precepts, his word, is running as fast as you can away from true joy. Brothers and sisters, we aren't left here in this world with something fallible. We aren't left in the dark. 1 John 1, 4 And these things we are writing so that our joy may be made complete. The psalmist continues, the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The the commandments, the commands, again, the absolute truths, the non-optional, non-negotiable commands of Scripture. They are pure, clean, clear. This speaks to the perspicuity of Scripture. It's transparent. It's exact. It's sincere. It's not clouded. It's not muddy. It's not murky. It's pure. Psalm 119, 140, your word is, 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 excuse me, your word is exceedingly refined. The NASB says it this way, your word is exceedingly very pure. Therefore, your slave loves it. commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, with this this picture of a lamp, we see it all throughout the scripture. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Psalm 119, verse 130 says this, the unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Again, with that theme, The unfolding of your words give light. There's freedom in the word of God. There's freedom in being regulated by God's word. It gives understanding and wisdom to the simple. Psalmist continues, the fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. David is still referring to the scriptures. Remember the passage that I read at the beginning of the episode, Isaiah 66, verse 2. For my hand has made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles in fear at my word. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear, reverence, awe equals true worship. Without the clear, pure, perfect, plain, and powerful word of God, you and I would not have the slightest idea how and why we are to worship. Herein lies why we must stick to the scriptures when it comes to how we worship. It must be driven by the fear of Yahweh and the fear of his word. He, through his word, has shown us how he wants to be worshipped. 
And he's shown us any and all of the details concerning how he wants to be worshipped. Fearing the Lord, fearing his word is clean. It's undefiled. God's word is without error. It's free from corruption. It endures forever. First Peter 1, 24 and 25, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Yahweh, your word stands firm in heaven. Did you hear that? Forever, O Yahweh, your word stands firm in heaven. Psalmist continues, the judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. The judgments, the verdicts, the divine ordinances. The scriptures are replete with courtroom terminology. God himself, listen to this, God himself holds and has adjudicated any and all verdicts according to his word, his judgments, his decrees are right and true. Wow. So look, I know that's a lot of exposition, okay? And listen, there is so much more that I could say that I, that I read and learned and studied but um, about those three verses. But I think I, and I hope, I pray that I've made the point very clear. The scriptures are perfect. It's, it's the word of Christ, going back to Colossians 3 now. It's the word of Christ alone where we find everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Peter said this in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Wow. The Belgic Confession of Faith says this in Article 7, quote, We believe that those holy scriptures fully contain the will of God, and whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein, period, close quote. The absolute standard for all truth is the word of God. Let it in. Pour over it as it alone carries the absolute truth concerning all things pertaining to life and godliness. Martin Luther said it this way, quote, Scripture alone is the true Lord and master of all writings and doctrines on earth. That said, so, something that we have talked about on matter of theology and will continue to talk about is the sufficiency of Scripture. And Why? Based on what we've talked about already, we must be regulated by the Word of God. And here, the Apostle Paul, he lets us know what we're to do with the Word of Christ. We're to let it dwell in you richly. Let's break this down. Dwell. 
Dwell is a word that I've been thinking about a lot over this current season. I've been asking myself this question a lot. Chris, what are you dwelling on? What are you focused on? What's consuming your mind and your heart? Are you, as the scriptures say, taking every thought captive for the glory of God, according to the word of God? So Paul says to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Dwell is a great word. It means to reside, to live, to have one's home or have one's residence, to, listen to this, be settled, be housed, lodge, stay. Some synonyms of the word dwell, to linger over, mull over, muse on, think about, spend time thinking about, to be preoccupied with, to be obsessed with, eat one's heart out over, harp on, discuss at length, expiate on, elaborate on, expound on, keep talking about the word of Christ. Let it occupy the whole of who you are. Do we as professing believers do this? And I think the fruit of what we see from professing evangelicals and evangelical churches answers that question. Everything from from the capitulation to culture in order to entertain goats to the adoption of ideologies that can only be described as godless, dangerous, and completely antithetical to Scripture. That kind of answers that question. So in regards to what we're talking about in this episode, I will say this. You can clearly see that the majority of professing evangelical pastors, church leaders, music ministers, and others have not let the word of Christ dwell in them when it comes to the content chosen to glorify and worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Whether it's the preached word or the music chosen, there's a lack, a clear lack of Scripture's influence. And it should not be so. Paul continues, let the word of Christ dwell, live with you richly, abundantly, fully, thoroughly, in full measure of, well, completely, wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, totally, entirely, absolutely, altogether, perfectly, in every respect, in all respects. This just amplifies the command. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us in an okay or mediocre way, but richly, fully, in all things, at all times. Why is this so important? Paul gives us that answer. The answer, hello, is found in Scripture. The, he gives it to the letter in the church of Ephesus. In chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, says this, Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Remember what we talked about in Psalm 19, making wise the simple. Look carefully as you walk, not as unwise, don't be simple. Be regulated by the word of God, as wise, redeeming the time. 
because the days are evil. Brothers and sisters, I have been a part of a church that said you can't pray when you're gathered outside for an event. Or, no, you need to play this, this, this ACDC song or this Beyonce song. Because the next time people listen to it, they'll think about church. No, they won't. You have a captive audience. These people are coming to a place that should have the name church in it. Why would you not take that that moment and redeem that time, that fleeting vapor of time? Why? Why would you not want to do that? Because the days are evil, Paul says. So where, where, where do we go for the absolute source of all wisdom? The only place is the word of God. Wisdom here. When, when, when Paul, uh, back, back to Colossians 3. In verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Okay? The source of all wisdom is the word of God. Wisdom in the Greek here is the word Sophia, meaning skill, intelligence, divine wisdom. Sound familiar? Psalm 19. Again, as we saw earlier, Skilled in the art of godly living. Where do you find that? The word of God. How do you do that? By letting it dwell in you richly, fully, in all things, at all times. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim Christ according to the scriptures to admonish every man with the desire to see that that all those who profess faith in him would be freed by being regulated by the word of God to be mature in Christ. I know that was a mouthful. I'm going to repeat it. (laughs) We proclaim Christ according to the scriptures to admonish every man with the desire to see that all those who profess faith in him would be freed by being regulated by the word of God to be mature in Christ. Paul said it elsewhere that the goal for those in leadership is to labor, labor, work hard as with the groanings of childbearing until Christ is formed in whoever they're leading. Galatians 4.19, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. You know why, one of the reasons why so many professing evangelical pastors and church leaders and music ministers, et cetera, so on and so forth, refuse to be regulated by the word of God? Because they're lazy. They're lazy. They don't want to put in the work. So they either plagiarize other people's sermons um, and or choose songs on the Lord's day to give the Lord honor and praise when it's about him written by false teachers and false churches, not according to the scriptures. Why? They're lazy. 
Paul continues in Colossians 3, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, teaching, giving instruction, tutor, educate, coach, give lessons to, to train, ground, enlighten, illuminate, prepare, indoctrinate, discipline. He says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, exhorting, advising, recommending, urging, cautioning, warning, counseling, imploring. I beseech you, beseeching people. One another. Teaching and admonishing one another. Literally in the Greek, this means at his own house. We see this phrase, one another, some 256 times in the New Testament. Some may know it, at, may know them as the one another's. These should be trademarks in any and all professing evangelical churches, the one another's. Now, we don't have time to take a deep dive into those in this episode. However, I will post something in show notes around the one another's where you can, you can find each of them there in the New Testament. So, being fueled by the scriptures... Okay, letting them, the scriptures, dwell in us richly with all wisdom, we are to be teaching and admonishing one another. How? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we see a similar command from Paul, again, the letter to, to, the, to the church uh, at Ephesus in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So we're to be teaching. How? With Psalms. Okay? Psalms literally means the Psalms. (laughs) The 150 chapters written by the likes of David, the sons of Korah, sons of Asaph, Solomon, Abraham, Moses, Heman, uh, Ethan, possibly Ezra. Yet there are, there, there are many psalms whose authorship is unknown. The psalms are, are full of wonderfully rich theology, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. Remember, the word of God is theonoustos. God breathed on the psalms. They're perfect. By the way, the psalms are the most quoted book from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, their purpose, the purpose of the Psalms is to produce or create proper praise, proper adoration, proper affection and worship to the Lord. I love the way Dr. John MacArthur breaks down the basic theme you find in the Psalms in his study Bible introduction to the Psalms. He says this, quote, the basic theme of of Psalms is living real life in the real world where two dimensions operate simultaneously. One, a horizontal or temporal reality, and two, a vertical or transcendent reality. Without denying the pain of earthly dimension, the people of God are to live joyfully and dependently on the person and promises standing behind the heavenly and eternal dimension. All cycles of human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing human complaints, confidence, prayers, and praise or praise to Israel's sovereign Lord, period, close quote. Love that. Now, I am not one who who abdicates uh, for an exclusive psalm city, 
okay? Meaning that you only sing song, only sing the Psalms in churches, okay? I know I have friends of mine out there who may be listening to this that are like, but I am, bro, and I could, I could talk to you about why, why, okay, but I'm not there. <laughs> so, and based on my study of this one verse, I believe it speaks to why we don't need to be. The very next word, psalms and hymns. Okay, hymns are songs in and of praise. And here's the key, addressed to God. That's key, that's crucial. These songs are meant to be addressed to the Lord, informed by scripture, directed by God. And then, and, then this, and, then they, and then Paul continues. I'm getting my guys confused. <laughs> Paul continues in spiritual songs. Okay, spiritual there. Um, it, it, in, in the Greek, it means, it means of or caused by wind, air, or, listen, 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 breath of that which belongs to or actuated by the divine spirit. Spiritual songs or odes okay whether sad or joyful okay this is a tune put to melody that expresses one's affections and attentions to god so whenever you see the term spiritual songs in the new testament it's it's always praise directed at or of god or christ it's directed at at at, at christ and is is teaching Remember, this is, this is teaching with authority in the church. And, and this was something that was pointed out to me a few years ago by a friend of mine. There's something incredibly important happening when the church gathers to sing praises to the Lord. Theology is taught. And because it's being taught through the vehicle of music, it's something that is being written on our hearts and in our minds. And when I say hearts, I mean the same thing as we looked at in Psalm 19. And I mean the same thing that, that, uh, that Paul means here in heart, when we get to hearts here at the end of this verse, the inner man, the eternal being of man. So it's at this point in the episode where I'm going to step on some more toes. However, in the light of what Paul asked the church at Galatia in chapter 1 of, and, and verse 10 of Galatians, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave to Christ. I, along with my team members at Just Thinking Ministries and others, have adopted a three-word saying when it comes to offending with truth. Ready? I don't care. That said, I wholeheartedly believe that Scripture is crystal clear that because there is a major teaching aspect in what is happening during the musical portion of any Lord's Day gathering, the music leader and or the one picking the songs must meet the requirements of a pastor or elder found in the pastoral epistles. Let me say that again. I wholeheartedly believe that Scripture is crystal clear, crystal clear, that because there is a major teaching aspect 
in what is happening during the musical portion of any Lord's Day gathering, the music leader and or the one picking the songs and the content chosen must meet the requirements of a pastor or elder found in the pastoral epistles. Now, some may be asking right now, and I paused there on purpose, you may be asking this question. Now, Chris, does that mean you believe that a woman should not be leading a gathering of believers on any given Lord's Day? Yes, that is what I'm saying. I am also saying that there should not be an unqualified man doing the same thing. Okay? However, here's what I'm not saying. Okay? I'm not saying that I believe that women should not sing a song in church during a Lord's Day gathering. There is a distinct difference between singing a song in worship and leading the musical portion of the gathering of believers. There is an important distinction, and we must be careful in how we conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord. It's his bride. It's his church, not ours. We aren't free to redefine how anything in his house is to be structured. Contrary to what what a lot of professing believers and churches in the Lord Jesus Christ think, there is immense freedom found in the regulative principle of worship. There is. Now, I say that in light of the following tweet from my brother, Dr. Scott Aniol, he's the associate pastor and director of doctoral, doctoral worship studies at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said this in a tweet, um, and I, lo- I loved it. I love this tweet. Quote, far from being restrictive, the regulative principle of worship is liberating. For parishioners who don't, do, don't have to worry what novelty their leaders will add next, and for pastors who don't have to chase after the newest fad. Just do what the Bible says, no more and no less. Period, close quote. Wow. I love that. I love that. What freedom there is when we scour the word of God with the desire to be obedient to him in all things. There is freedom knowing that the Lord is finding favor on what is being on what is done in and through the life of his church remember the verse in isaiah we looked at it twice those to whom the lord finds favor are those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word John 4.23, but an hour is coming and now is when, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshiper. Sorry to all my seeker-sensitive folks out there. Unbelievers and goats are not the seekers. The Lord is. John 4.23, when the Father seeks those to be his worshipers. Spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma, meaning meaning disposition in John 4. But the key here, like, it, so, so spirit, by the way, is lowercase. If you have an LSB or NASB, it's lowercase, meaning your disposition, your personal disposition. But your disposition has to be, and here it is, regulated by truth. 
Worship, true biblical worship must be based in and on nothing but the word of God. Remember what we discussed earlier. God's word is the only source of absolute, inerrant, infallible, and completely sufficient truth. Colossians 3.16, heading back there. Singing. So we're, 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 we're teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Singing here is a verb. It's a command. Something to remember that Christianity, Christianity is, is one of the only religion that sings. We're commanded to sing praises directed to God about God, written and influenced by the word of God. Singing with our whole self as we're about to see, with our whole self. Check out this, this passage. Apostle Paul, in, in his letter uh, to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, lowercase again, and I will sing with the mind also. Sing. Sing. Regulated by God's Word. Church leaders, Sing songs directed to God based upon the word of God done in a way that is obedient to the word of God, giving the ultimate praise to God himself and singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Now, this literally can be translated as as this, and I love this, in his grace, singing in his grace, singing in his grace with gratefulness in your hearts to God. This whole phrase is a command. This whole phrase is a a command. The word gratefulness in the Greek is the word charis, meaning literally grace, loveliness, graciousness of speech. Thanks, thankfulness is how the NASB translates it. And we see this theme throughout the scriptures about giving thanks to God, praising God, thanking God, having an attitude of thanksgiving, partaking in gratefulness, not ceasing to give thanks to God for all things. I mean, just a few verses earlier, right? Well, just, I'm sorry, one verse before and one verse after. So Paul's saying the same thing here. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Having a heart and attitude of humility, thanksgiving, and gratefulness is absolutely essential in worship. You cannot worship without it. If you want a sure way 
to battle against the sin of pride and burnout. Yes, I said burnout. Always maintain an authentic attitude of gratefulness in your hearts to God based on all he has done for you in spite of yourself and your sin. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Hearts here is cardia in the Greek. It literally means, and check this out, do not miss this, the seat of spiritual life. Remember what we talked about in Psalm 19. Okay, our minds and it, 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 and our hearts, it's, it's the eternal seat of a man. The central and innermost part of any man or woman. And ch- check out this definition. In a, it, it's found in the manual uh, Greek lexicon for the New Testament. Quote, in a psychological sense, the seat of a man's collective energies the focus of personal life, the dead of of the rational as well as the emotional and volitional elements of human life. Hence that wherein lies the moral and religious condition of the man. The seat of man's collective energy, the focus of personal life. It's where, where the emotional and volitional elements of human life reside with gratefulness in your hearts to God. This is huge. And it's something that many professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ don't stop to think about. What is the attitude or condition of the heart? Your heart, my heart, my heart. What are you, what am I, what are we filling and feeding our hearts with? And why is this so important? We read it earlier. I think it bears repeating. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. How we worship. And what regulates our worship, whether it's privately or corporately, is a direct reflection of the attitude of our heart's view of who God is and who we are in response. How we worship and what regulates our worship, whether privately or corporately, is a direct reflection of the attitude of our heart's view, our heart's view of who God is and who we are in response. What a wonderful, wonderful sentence the Apostle Paul penned under the inspiration, the breathed out inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more, okay? There's, we're an hour and 20 minutes in, and there's still, there, there's, there's so much more that could be said concerning this one verse and, of course, this section of Scripture. However, I want to move into a time of practical application and answering some questions that always come up. I always end up getting these questions Um when it comes to dealing with the subject of, of corporate gathering, the corporate gathering of believers, when it comes to the music chosen. Um, and, and, and look, this is work that must be done. 
based on everything that I have gone over and everything that you've listened to, this is the work that must be done. Pastors, shepherds, church leaders, music leaders, this is work you have to do. And it has to be done in this way. John Calvin said this, quote, The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away the wolves and the thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both, period, close quote. Martin Luther said, quote, Peace if possible, truth at all cost. Why? Why? Bishop J.C. Ryle said it this way, Quote, to keep gospel truth in the church is in even greater importance than to keep peace. The Apostle Paul valued unity greatly, as we know. Why? Because he dreaded false doctrine. He feared the loss of truth more than the loss of peace. Many people have a morbid fear of controversy, period, close quote. This is work that has to be done. And, and, and as scripture clearly shows, clearly shows, we must be regulated and there is freedom in being regulated by the word of God when it comes to how we worship him both, both privately and corporately. Let me, let me start this kind of practical session with, with a quote um, from Dr. Vodi Bauckham in a sermon that he gave at the 2020 Truth Matters Conference at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. He said this, quote, Our worship is kind of a long quote, so bear with me here. Quote, our worship must be offered in accordance with God's dictates. Here's what you don't hear me saying. You don't hear me saying that our passion for God doesn't matter. You don't hear me saying that we should be wooden, legalistic, rule oriented. No, you don't hear me saying that. But what governs us is the word of God. The word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient. That's where we start. I love Bruce Leafblad's definition of worship. And this is Vody quoting Bruce, quote, True worship happens when we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord, praising him for who he is and what he has done. Close quote. Continuing to quote from Dr. Bauckham, Our worship is word-oriented. It has to be word-oriented. It must have happened it, it must have. It must happen in accordance with his dictates. How do we know those dictates? We know those dictates from his sufficient word. Remember that in worship, our goal is God, period, full stop. Our goal is God. Our goal is communion with God. Our goal in worship is God. And so if we are to measure the success of our worship, we measure whether or not we've communed with God in accordance with the word of God for the purpose of glorifying God because he's God. And for that, his word is sufficient, period, close quote. Man. Love Vody. Love Vody. It's the truth. That's truth. Our worship, our goal in worship is God. Our goal, therefore, we must be regulated by the word of God. So, so let, let's talk about vetting songs, okay? Let, let, let's talk about that, you know? Um, the, the, first, first and foremost, in order to properly vet songs that are, are, are said to be written 
to God, directed by God, um, they have to be in accordance with the word of God. Okay, so so the first thing that all of this starts with when it comes to vetting songs and or ministries or songwriters is you have to know the word. You have to know the word. You have to do everything we just talked about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Knowing the word is the first thing, okay? So FBI agents, treasury agents, they know the real thing when it comes to studying uh, you know, fake currency. They study the real thing so much that they can recognize a fake immediately. Immediately. It's the same concept, okay? When, when there's a song that you're reading through the lyrics of, um, because often I'll get the question, Does it, can a song stand on its own merit? No, it can't, but... Let, let's talk about a song. You know, if you get a song um, that says things in clear contradiction from the Scripture, knowing the Word and letting it dwell in you, the Holy Spirit will use that to warn you when something, set, when something comes up that's awry, when, when something pops up as a red flag. When, like when a song says, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down, or talks about any part of God or his love as being reckless, you can know that's not correct and should never be used on any Lord's Day gathering and or in your personal or private worship. Let me rabbit trail here for a second. Someone said to me recently, well, you know, I can still listen to to, the, to Bethel or Hillsong or Elevation in my car, right? I mean, because I know the real Christ. I, I And I agree with you. We shouldn't play them on a, a Lord's Day gathering. I agree they have no place in the church, but but I can do that, right? Okay, I have a question for you. Worship is all of life to the glory of God. Right, I said that last time. In, at its essence, worship is all of life to the glory of God in, in thought, word, and deed. Okay? So let me ask you a question. In downloading that song, streaming that song, you had to pay for something. Let me back up a step further. In order for that artist or songwriter to put that song on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever, Google Music, they had to agree to receive royalties from those streaming services. So by downloading those songs and listening to those songs, you are, with your money, supporting false teaching. Yep, I said it. Through your worship of your finances, with your finances, you're supporting false teaching. You can't worship God right in one avenue of your life, say singing and your personal affections to God, and then worship him incorrectly with your finances by contributing to false teaching. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And again, I'm going to state what I did in the last episode. This is something that I've wrestled with personally. It is. You know, I have a, a very good friend of mine who's, who's unfortunately, and fortunate, fortunately for him, unfortunately for us, uh, who's no longer with us. He, um, he died tragically at a very, very young age in an accident. And uh, um, he, he uh, went to uh, 
a school uh, where he was on the, the music team and they recorded a record and and they recorded a Bethel song and uh, and every time I hear that song uh, it's a song that I used to play when I when I was consistent in, in leading music um, a lot um, and and when it comes on it's it's very very difficult sometimes for me to change that it's it's uh, this is something that I um, you know I guess I did buy it in order to support him and, and the group that he was in. Um, but they had to pay royalties to Bethel. So, um, look, I get it. I do. However, our goal in worship to quote Vody again is God period full stop. And if we want to commune with God and, and measuring the success of our worship, we measure it by whether or not we've communed with God in accordance with the word of God. That's, that's Vody's words. So the first step in vetting a song is you read through it over and over and over again. You put in the work. You do the labor, as Paul said. You put in the labor. You put in the work. Stop being lazy. You know, uh, music leaders, worship pastors, quote-unquote, which, I, I again, I'm struggling with that, that terminology. You know, people are talented, and the Lord is sovereign, and so if you find a song that doesn't work and it's pointed out to you, don't use the excuse, well, they only have four or five days to learn a new song, and I don't want to do that to them. What's more important, the time that they would sacrifice learning a song that honors God or capitulating to false teaching and letting them just bask in their laziness? And I know I'm asking a lot of hard questions right now, but these are questions that I have asked my, of, of myself. And anybody, <laughs> anybody out there who has led music with me uh, knows that there have been times that the night before I will reach out to them and say, I am so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry about this, but here's what I found. Here's what I want to do. And thankfully, the Lord has always placed amazing musicians around me that are like, all right, man, yeah, absolutely. And, and these musicians care about, first and foremost, about the fidelity to Scripture because it's the breathed out word of God above their own comfort and, and, and anything else. And I love that and I'm thankful for that. So read over the songs, read over the lyrics, compare them to scripture. Be as the Bereans. Be as the noble Bereans. Compare everything to the scripture. Again, Thomas Watson, it's the richest jewel that Christ left us. If the songs say something awry, do not use them. Now, when it comes to vetting songwriters and ministries, the same concept applies as vetting the songs. And this is vitally important. There are too many groups out there who are, as I quoted from my brother Daryl Harrison in the last episode, who, quote, subscribe to a worldview that is objectively observable as being evil and which loves and promotes the darkness rather than the light, period, close quote. There are many out there who, if you right now, right this moment, if you were to go to Apple Music and search and browse in the Christian music section, a lot like with Christian podcasts, what you're going to find is either a lot of heresy or a lot of pragmatism. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Hillsong, false church, Bethel, false church, Elevation, 
false church. Passion, they hold to some false teaching. I'm just being honest. I don't take joy in saying that because there are songs that, that honestly I could scour through by each of those quote-unquote churches that are like, man, I really like this song. The music is great. The lyrics are even great. But if they are written by people who support objectively observable evil and promote darkness rather than light or capitulate to culture and ideologies instead of standing on the word of God, I am not going to play those songs. I'm not going to contribute to them financially. I'm not going to introduce the people that the Lord has, has asked me to lead and shepherd in this moment. Remember, redeeming the time, Ephesians 4, I'm not going to introduce them to that. Because inevitably, there will be that one person. And it, you know what? One of the taglines for Matter of Theology um, that we used to have is for the sake of one. Even if there's one person, one soul that would go and go, man, who, who wrote that song? Oh, Elevation? Okay, who's, oh, man, I like this guy, Furtick. Man, he gets all, he gets all animated and, oh, oh, and everything else. God broke the law for love. No, he didn't. You're a false teacher. And if one person goes, one person goes and, 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 and is influenced by that, I, you, music leader, song leader, pastor, you have contributed to a child of God being led by false teaching. Be regulated by the word of God and the word of God alone. I think I've, I hope, again, I hope and I pray that that's clearly been shown. How God's word is sufficient. If it's sufficient to restore the soul, then it is absolutely more than sufficient to regulate your worship, both privately and corporately. But how I wanted to wrap up this episode of Matter of Theology is uh, by reading a prayer from the Valley of Vision, um, as, as I've done before. Um, and, and this one is entitled, Christ the Word. And here we go. In a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his Word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him the foundation, to abide in him, to be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who has designed, purchased, promised, affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee. 
but thou hast given me a present Jesus thy son as mediator between thyself and my soul as middleman who in a pit holds both him below and him above for only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou hast the hearts of all men in thine hand. Form my heart according to the word. According to the image of thy son, so Christ the word and his word be my strength and comfort. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Matter of Theology. We will catch you on the next one.